Sunday night, we're in a sermon series entitled Circles of Influence. We're looking at the people who influence Moses, people who put their hands on the life of Moses. If you were to look at Moses under a microscope, you would see his fingerprints, their fingerprints, excuse me, all over him. And these are the people that helped make Moses who he was, a Hall of Famer for God. Now, some of those influences were positive. Some of them were not so positive. But God used them all to make the man. Numbers chapter 13, Moses and Caleb. Numbers 13. And let's read some verses from the chapter, beginning with verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and said, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all those men who are heads of the children of Israel, head of the twelve tribes of Israel. Verse 17. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go into the mountains. See the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they may be strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell in, whether they be tents or in strongholds or fortresses. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be you of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. Verse 25. And they returned from the searching of the land after forty days, and the day is the spies, the scouts. And they went and they came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh. And they brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land where you sent us to, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is some of the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Anak was a, a tribe of giants, very similar to Goliath. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell in the sea and the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We, are, we be not able to go against these people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, This land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. 
And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. They're giants. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which cometh out of giants. And we were our own sight as grasshoppers as we looked at these giants. President Eisenhower was a man of faith. He was a Christian man. A great general in World War II later would become a two-term president of the United States. And he said something that I think we need to remember tonight, and I'm going to go back to it at the end of the message. Every tomorrow has two handles. We can take the handle of fear, or we can take the handle of faith. The choice is ours. Every tomorrow, every opportunity, every situation, every circumstance of tomorrow, the future, has two levers or two handles. One is a handle of fear, and we can pull that handle. The other is a handle of faith. And we can pull that one too. The choice is ours, which we will pull. But we can only pull one. Now let's talk about our story that encompasses Numbers chapter 13 and parts of Numbers chapter 14. Moses and the Israelites are in the wilderness. They're wandering through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. They stop at a place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is right on the border of the promised land. God has told Moses, go and take it. It's yours. I promised it to you. I keep my promise. The land is yours. Take the land. God did not stutter. He did not stammer. He wasn't hesitant. He wasn't reserved. He didn't mumble. He didn't beat around the bush. He said, Moses, that is your land. Take it. Possess it. Make it your own. Now Moses, for unknown reasons, does not seem to understand what God has so clearly said. Or perhaps he doesn't necessarily believe what God has so clearly said. So Moses sends out 12 spies. We would call them scouts today. One man representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. The man chosen was the leader of the tribe. And these 12 scouts, these 12 spies were to go and look over the promised land, come back and report to Moses. The scriptures tell us they went out. They went out and were gone for 40 days. Four in the Bible, 40 in the Bible, 
is a number of temptations. Once again, which handle are you going to pull? Type thing. Well, the scouts go into the promised land. And the promised land is everything God said it would be. And maybe more. It is a land flowing indeed with milk and honey. It is a land of fruits and vegetables that are plentiful and extremely large in size. The ground is fertile. There's plenty of water. The promised land is an oasis surrounded by desert. But there's a problem. As the spies and scouts are looking at the promised land, they notice that in the promised land there's a lot of enemies of Israel. There's all of those Hittites, whole bunches of them. The Amorites, the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, all of them are there. And then there's giants. There's a race of giants that come from Anak. And these giants are warriors. And they're huge. They're like human tanks. And they're everywhere. Scouts and spies see them. And they come back to Moses and they give their report. Ten of the twelve speak to Moses. They speak to the leadership. They speak to the people. And they say, no, we cannot go into the promised land. If we do so, we will be slaughtered. We're no match for those giants. We're no match for those enemies. They'll not only kill us, but they'll kill our wives. They'll kill our children. They will wipe us out. We can't go. Now that's ten of them. But two of them dare to contradict that report. Their names are Joshua and Caleb. And they say to Moses, yes, there are many enemies there. Yes, there are many giants there. Yes, there are many walled cities and fortresses there. Yes, we are grasshoppers compared to those giants. But we have God. Now Moses is the commander-in-chief. He's the president, if you will. His advisors have reported to him. A majority has said, don't go. The minority has said, go. The majority says, there's giants there. There's enemies there. They will destroy us. The minority says God is there. He'll destroy them. The majority says defeat. The minority says victory. Moses is inclined, ladies and gentlemen, to go. 
He's inclined to listen to Joshua and Caleb, who, by the way, were men who walked with God. But the people, when they hear the report, they rebel. They reject Moses' desire to go into the promised land. They say, we won't go. We're not going to go there and die. We're not going to sacrifice our families in some foolish pursuit of something we cannot obtain. And so they dig in their heels and refuse to go. And Moses doesn't press the issue. He says, okay, well, if you don't want to go, we'll just continue our wanderings in the wilderness. Now, let me go on record as saying that every one of them that rebelled and rejected Moses' appeal to let's go to the promised land, they would die in the wilderness, every single one of them. Not one single one of that generation, the original generation, would ever get to the promised land. They said, we don't want to go. God said, fine, you won't go. And he killed every single one of them. Or they died a natural death in 40 more years of wandering in the wilderness. The only two who would go to the promised land were the two that said, we ought to go. And that was Joshua and that was Caleb. Now, Speeding ahead 40 years later, 40 plus years later, Joshua would take over command of the Israelites. And you remember he would cross the Jordan River and lead the Israelites in a campaign of victory and possession of the Promised Land. Caleb would be with him. Caleb would be 85 years old. Do we have anybody here 85 or older here tonight? Got anybody? Anybody getting close? <laughs> well, Caleb was 85 years old. Some of you who are uh, in that ballpark, so to speak, you know what it's like to be 85. Well, Caleb was 85 years old. But do you know he would take on the giants at 85? He would take them on. He would take on the giants and he would defeat them. He would take on their fortress and claim it as his own. He'd do all of that at 85. What a man he was. Now that's the story. In a nutshell, that's the story. Now, in every story in the Old Testament, the people are real, the places are real, the things and events that happened are real. This is history that we just read. Authentic, accurate history. But also, there's always principles that come out of the story. There are principles that the people, places, things, and events teach us that we can apply to our lives today. So whenever you read the Old Testament, read the stories and say, praise God, they're true, but also, what is it saying to me? Because this is not just a story about Moses and Caleb and Joshua and a bunch of rebels and giants. This is a story about myself right here, right now. And what I'm going through and what I'm facing as I journey to heaven. So what are some principles we can learn tonight very quickly? Well, first of all, faith is three things. 
Remember, you can pull the handle of faith if you want. Faith is three things. Faith hears God. Faith hears God. Faith believes God. Thirdly, faith acts on what God has said and what is believed. You listening? Faith hears God, involves the ears. Faith believes God, involves the mind. And faith acts on what God has said. That involves the hands, the feet. Now, fear also hears God. That's the other lever, remember? Fear hears God too. But fear doubts God. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Was God speaking literally? Or was God speaking symbolically? I heard God, but I'm just confused and I have doubts about what he said. And therefore, I'm not going to do it. That's what fear says. I hear God, but I've got my doubts. Therefore, I'm not going to do what God says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. To them who will come to him by faith, they shall be rewarded. Joshua and Caleb heard what God said. God spoke very clearly that day. Take the land, I've given it to you. It's yours, possess it. They believed that what God said. If we go, God will give us the land. What about the enemies? He'll defeat them. What about the giants? He'll slay them. What about the fortresses? He'll bring the walls down. It's not my job to figure out how God will do his business. It's my job to obey. So Joshua and Caleb heard what God said. They believed what God said. And they said, we need to act on it. The others... Oh, we heard what God said, but we don't believe we heard him correctly. We don't believe God meant what he said. Therefore, we're not going to do it. We rebel against you, God. We reject what you've said. We're staying right here. Faith is always rewarded, and fear is always judged. Joshua and Caleb will end up in the promised land. The others will end up in a grave in the wilderness. Do you walk by faith or do you walk by fear? Which handle are you pulling as you look at tomorrow, as you look at the situations and circumstances that you face, your family faces, your church might face, and our nation faces? Second thing. Another principle comes out of this. 
on matters concerning the Word of God. We should not take a vote if what God said is true or right. Where God has clearly spoken in His Word, we should not be in the business of taking a vote to determine if God's, what God said is right or what God said is true. Moses made a mistake. The great man Moses made a mistake when he put it open for a vote. When it comes to spiritual things, the majority is usually wrong. The minority is usually right because the minority is usually a small remnant that walks with God. And the majority is usually carnal and worldly for the most part and does not understand spiritual truth. Moses should have never put this up for a vote. A major mistake by a man of God. A mistake that would haunt him the rest of his life. And you know, it's interesting, we still make that mistake today, don't we? We have churches today, we have denominations today that vote on whether you should consume alcoholic beverage or not. Like a vote matters. God has clearly spoken on the subject, but we don't want to listen to what God has to say. We don't like what God has to say, so we want to rewrite what God has to say with a vote. Revisionist scripture. We vote on when life begins. Does it begin at conception? Or does it begin at the three-month mark? Or the six-month mark? Or the nine-month mark? Or does life really begin when the baby is completely, absolutely completely out of the womb? We have churches and denominations that are voting on such. Same-sex marriage. Churches and denominations voting on whether we should do it or not. The people in the leadership say we do it, we'll do it. And if they don't, well, we won't for this year. We'll take another vote next year. Should we give to missions? Churches and denominations say, no, we need that money at home. Let's vote on it. Should a church have worship services? Let's take a vote on it. Should we be here on Wednesday night? Why don't we take a vote on it? See what you think. Should we be here on Sunday night? Why should we have Sunday school? Let's take a vote on it. i got a better idea. Why not Why have church at all? Just send in your tithes. As long as I get my check, I don't care. I'll gladly work zero hours a week. I only work three now. If I can get out of those, I don't want to work. <laughs> Let's take a vote. Cut back. Keep the same salary. I like that. Y'all get my point? The church today and denominations today are voting on nonsense. 
God has clearly spoken on just about every one of these issues. His will is very easy to know. His word is very clear on what God's position is. And yet we in our own foolishness and wickedness, our own carnality and worldliness, we want to vote on something that God has clearly said. Where does it end? I have no clue what will be the hot topic item next year to be voted on. On matters concerning God's word, there is no vote to be taken. He says what he says, it's right, it's true, and we do it. Principle number three. People who are giants for God see everything else as grasshoppers. People who are grasshoppers for God see everything as giants. It all comes down to what you see with your eyes. Do you see through eyes of faith or do you see through eyes of fear? Those who see through eyes of faith, they see God. And their God is able. Those who, see, who are grasshoppers and see through the eyes of a grasshopper, they see everything out there as giants. And they live in fear and in tremble. Gentlemen up top, would you put that word up for me, please? What do you see when you look at that word? Glance up there at that word tell me what you see. God is now here or God is nowhere? <laughs> Point well taken. Do you know a majority of people, they see God is nowhere? Is that what you saw? You're a grasshopper then. Giants for God see God is now here. Just the way you look at things, isn't it? Joshua and Caleb said God's here. And the other twelve said he's nowhere to be found. Giants for God see everything as grasshoppers. Grasshoppers for God see everything as giants. Giants for God walk on in faith. Grasshoppers for God tremble in fear. Number four. Who we listen to and associate with will determine how far God can take us. Make sure you choose your advisors and counselors carefully. Make sure you choose your associates and your friends carefully. Make sure you choose your pastor and your ministers and the church you go to very carefully because they will have a profound influence on you. Whether you will climb mountains for God or you will crawl on your belly in the valleys. 
If Moses would have listened to Joshua and Caleb, how much different history would have been for the Israelites? They spoke into his ear. They said, listen, we saw what that land is. It's everything God said and more. It's ours for the taking. God's given it to us. Moses, let's just go. Let's trust God to defeat the enemies. Let's trust God to slay the giants. Let's trust God to bring the fortresses down. Let's march by faith. God said it's ours. Let's trust him and take it. And then that other ten, well, a bunch of little mealy mouths. They said, we can't do it. Oh, there's thousands of them, millions of them. You know, when you're afraid, everything's exaggerated, isn't it? And those giants, they're like the fish story. They just kept getting bigger and bigger. Oh, they're an eight foot tall. No, they're 10 foot tall. No, they're 12 foot tall. We can't do it. They'll slaughter us. And then they, if you read on in the story, it's interesting. They say, and they'll slaughter our wives and our children. What a bunch of chickens. They have to hide behind their women and children. Oh, we're not scared, but they'll get our women and children. Bunch of cowards. Who you listen to and who you associate with will greatly determine whether you climb mountains and be high for God or you worm in the valleys and be low for Him. Oh, if Moses would have only said, I'm going with Joshua and Caleb and all of you who want to follow me, let's go. The rest of you can die in the wilderness. But he didn't do that. You say, Pastor, why didn't he? I don't know. Sometimes we don't make good decisions, and I can't always explain why. Certainly not a good day for Moses in that regard. Number five. I think we can learn from this story, we're never too old for God to use us. I know most of you here tonight are 39. I'm part of that club, by the way. 39 and holding. Holding what, you say? I don't know. But I want you to know that no matter how old you are tonight, whether you be young like these folks to my right or older like you folks at other places, as long as you're here, God can still use you. Your age is not an excuse to kick back and do nothing for God. If you're here tonight and you're 98, God has you alive, God has you drawing his air, God has you eating his food, God has you drinking his water, because God has a purpose for your life. Caleb was 85 years old when they finally got to the promised land. 85 years old! And he was climbing mountains. I don't know many 85 years old that climb mountains, but he did. He took out his pick, had his spike boots on, had his ropes, and up the mountain he went. And when he got on top, he met the giants, and he killed them. We talk about David killing a giant. Caleb killed giants, plural. 
and he took over their fortress that was on top of the mountain. They had built a fortress on top of the hill, the mountain. Well, when he killed them off and the rest of them took off running, he made that fortress his own. That was going to be his retirement home. At 85, Caleb was still making a difference. At 85, when many people are sitting in a rocking chair, wondering why it doesn't work, he was still doing great things for God. Winston Churchill was 65 when he became the Prime Minister of England in World War II. Thomas Edison, at 84 years old, was still in the laboratory experimenting, trying to make something. Ben Franklin was 81 years old when he actually began to broker the Constitutional Convention that was held. There was a lot of argument. Ben Franklin, at 81 years old, came and acted somewhat as an arbitrator and a referee, bringing some of the different parties together to form the Constitution. Ed Delano, you haven't heard of him, but at age 75, he bicycled across America. He bicycled over 3,000 miles, and he did it in 33 days. That's getting after it. And George Selbach, 96 years old, playing golf. No, they didn't have to hold him up. He carried his clubs, went to that par two course, par three course perhaps, I don't know exactly what it was, right back, boom, and hit a hole in one. At 96 years old, you're never too old to be used of God. God has never said, I need your ability. He just says, I need your availability. And so if you're here at Miles Road and you're up in age and you think you're just going to kick back, drink a cup of coffee and just wind it down to heaven, you have another thought coming. We're not going to let you do it. As long as you're here, why don't you just work for God? There'll be plenty of time to drink coffee when you get to heaven. And then lastly, last principles we close. Disobedience to God is forgivable. But it always has a price. Moses' life was a Hall of Fame life. Most of the time he made right decisions. Most of the time he said right things. Most of the time he made right actions. Moses is a legend. He's one of the greats that has ever lived for our God. But Moses made two mistakes that would haunt him all of his days. First of all, he struck the rock how many times when he was told only do it once? Twice. He got angry. He let anger get the best of him. And in anger, God had said, you just strike the right rock once, I'll bring water. Well, he got angry and he struck it twice. Blatantly disobedient to God. God forgave him, but there would be a consequence to that. 
the opportunity to go into the promised land 45 years early. Once again, Moses listened to the wrong group, took a vote, took a poll on something he should never have done it on. And while he would get a chance to see the promised land, while he would come back later and stand with Jesus in the promised land, at the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses would never enter into it to stay. God forgave him for striking the rock twice. God forgave him for his act of disobedience and listening to that carnal majority over the spiritual minority. But the price he would pay is he would never set foot in the promised land. Joshua would lead the Israelites into the promised land, not Moses. Understand me. God is a God of grace and mercy, but don't you think you can disgrace grace and get away with it? God is a God of mercy, but don't you think you can mock his mercy and get away with it? God will forgive. There is no sin God will not forgive. But every sin we commit can have a consequence. Sometimes it's minor, sometimes it's major, sometimes it's now, sometimes it's later, sometimes it's just for a short period, sometimes it'll be for the rest of our life. A pastor falls in sin. He can be forgiven of that. But he's going to lose his ministry. Case in point, what just happened to a pastor in Florida? Major church, pastor confessed of his infidelity, and now he's out of the pastorate. Will God forgive him? If he asks God to forgive him, God will forgive him. Will he be in the ministry again? I don't know. But I know this, he won't be in the church where he was at. And the work that he was doing for the Lord has now been certainly put on hold, if not greatly hindered. He's left a mess for the next man. A girl has a baby out of wedlock. We see too much of that today. Will God forgive her? Absolutely. But she's going to have the responsibility of that baby for the next 18 years of her life and maybe the rest of her life. It's going to dramatically affect what she can do, what she can, where she can go, who might one day be associated with her. God can forgive. But there's always a consequence to what we do. A woman can go to jail. She can come out of jail and society can forgive her. And yes, God can forgive her. But that record will follow her everywhere she goes. And she might be denied opportunity simply because she has a record. A man can commit sexual sin. And he can pay his debt to society. But his name is going to go on a registry. And everywhere he goes, that registry will be checked and it will greatly hinder, if not forever, keep him out of certain things to do. He'll never be trusted again. 
See, God forgives. He forgave Moses. He still used Moses in great and mighty ways. But Moses' opportunity was now be taken from him to go to the promised land. Every tomorrow has two handles. The handle of faith. The handle of fear. Which one will you pull? That's the question. Joshua and Caleb of this world, they choose the faith handle. And the rest who are carnal and worldly choose the fear handle. Joshua and Caleb's, they possess what God has for them. They're rewarded. Those who are carnal and worldly and do not do what God says, they miss out on so much. Which will you be? That's the question. Heavenly Father, May we respond to whatever we're going through right now by faith. As I look at my congregation, I'm sure that there's many challenges going on right now in the lives of many people. And maybe they're struggling tonight on this handle that we just spoke of, of which one to pull. Lord, I pray tonight that you increase the faith of everyone that's here. May we search the scriptures and get a word from you. May we believe that word. May we act on it. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and faith without action is dead. 